Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, says. Smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. Welcome back to Care with Korak. My name is Josh, and today we have yet another very special guest. I am joined today by the one and only Mr. Thomas Powells. Tom is a board-certified counselor with the National Board for Certified Counselors, as well as a licensed professional counselor in LPC based in Colorado. Tom established his therapeutic practice, Inner Workings Professional Services, in 2001. His over 20 years of experience in psychotherapy, as well as prior 14 years of pastoral ministry, result in a compassionate and transformational counseling approach to facilitating personal change. His innovative mental health approach, inner work, treats the brain, not just the mind. Tom brings many years of experience in combining somatic stress removal through autonomic healing activation to restore the body and nervous system using the homeostasis function in the autonomic nervous system. For clients whose life experiences have disrupted their perceptions of self, others, and situations, Tom's cognitive behavioral therapy paradigms, inner work CBT, transform the mind. As a board-certified national certified counselor in NCC with the National Board of Certified Counselors and an LPC, Tom specializes in the holistic treatment of mood disorders, things such as depression, anxiety, bipolar ADD and ADHD, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, dysfunctional relationships, and maladaptive behavioral problems involving unhealthy urges to experience self-gratification. Tom has developed a new paradigm for forensic mental health evaluations and treatment. An informal network of families who have adopted children with trauma-related emotional and behavioral issues has referred many children for the AHA treatment. A new area of treatment is the use of autonomic healing activation with stress-related issues as a support for treatment provided by physical therapists. Until September 2015, Tom served as the Director of Research and Assessment at RSA Incorporated, a private sector provider of services to individuals with compulsive, abusive, and illegal sexual behaviors. His groundbreaking work in this position has led to significant improvements in cognitive behavioral therapy, empathy development, and victim-perpetrator clarification, and a non-cognitive method of elimination of deviant sexual interests in children. Tom had served at RSA Incorporated in various capacities from 1997. Prior to working at RSA, Tom was a professional church leader serving variously as a minister of youth and music, associate pastor and senior pastor of congregations in Michigan, Minnesota, and Colorado. While serving in the Detroit metro area, he held denominational positions as chairman of the Southeast Michigan Region Board, as well as president of the Southeast Region Ministers' Council. Bringing his innovative inner work counseling approach abroad, Tom has worked in Cambodia training community leaders with Agape International and Aim for Asia to reduce sexual victimization. Tom's collaboration with Aim for Asia included training for professional staff in the rehabilitation of trafficked children. 
Tom enjoys spending time outdoors in Colorado, climbing 14ers and hiking with his family. He's also an accomplished vocalist. In this episode, Tom and I talk about autonomic healing activation, the idea of homeostasis in the body, and the different functions of the brain and how they respond to stress. I'm really excited for you all to hear about AHA and the work he's been doing with it. Tom has been really busy putting the research and evidence out there for this treatment. He's been presenting in front of places such as Johns Hopkins, the National Institute of Health, and he's even gotten it approved as a recommended treatment by the Colorado Department of Corrections. I got the chance to do my own AHA session, which we will also talk about in this episode. For more information on Tom, check out his website, www.innerworkings.org, and his own podcast, The Autonomic Healing Podcast, which you can find on Spotify in the episode description or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at Josh Quark for clips from the show and more content. Well, that about does it. Let's not waste any more time and let's get to it. This is Care with Korak with Thomas Pals. Well, hey, Tom. Hey, Josh. <laughs> How's it going? It's going very well. Good. It's so good to have you here. It's kind of fun to have you in my office this time. Yeah, it's exciting <laughs> to be here with you. Yeah. Well, um, so glad you can come on the show. I'm really excited about just the work you've been doing, and I'm really excited mm-hmm. to just share it with my audience. I know that you've had your podcast that just recently started. Yep. So um, why don't we just start off and just tell us a little bit about who you are and okay. what got you here and um, everything in between. Can do that. So... The long story um, is that I was a minister for 14 years, and now I've been a psychotherapist for over 20. And along the way, um, I had mainly been involved in forensic psychotherapy, so right. treating offenders. And uh, but also, since and that started in 1999. But uh, then I was also having a private practice, just a little bit on the side along the way, along with that. What I discovered is that there were so many things I just couldn't treat. I, I would get so far with clients and, and Mm -hmm. I was really good as a therapist, but there was just stuff I couldn't touch. And so what I went trying to figure out was, is there a way that we can treat things beyond the cognitive? And I didn't know what that would be. I had no. I actually uh, on one of the podcast episodes uh, for my own podcast with mm-hmm. Ruth um, said I didn't set out to create a treatment. I I didn't. I was just looking for what is a treatment that would help. And I just kept running into things that would get so far, mm. but they wouldn't get farther. What were some of those things that you were running into that just weren't working for you? Um, well, and they. And and it's not as though they're not effective treatments like sure. EMDR. Sure. Okay. That's yeah. a, that for many years has been the gold standard for sure. treating trauma, yeah. uh, but all sorts of things like mindfulness and yoga and all that. Mm-hmm. But they were only getting so far, mm. and I knew that there were underlying levels that weren't getting touched. So this gets into a whole long story, which I'll spare you of how I actually figured out. Sure. Uh, but it involves homeostasis. And homeostasis mm-hmm. is that normalization 
of the body to change. So with homeostasis, if uh, physiologically, for example, if it gets cold outside, your body adjusts to the cold. Mm. The hair on your arm will stand up to provide an insulating layer of, <laughs> yeah, it's like an insulating air blanket around okay. your body. That's yeah. why the hairs stand up. Right. Um, the blood, which has a lot of the heat in the body, will retreat back into the body. Uh, because it doesn't want to be near the surface because you would lose that heat. Right. It wants to protect itself. Right. And yeah. if, if it needs to generate, it starts burning calories. You may start shaking, become mm. your own furnace. That's homeostasis. That's, those are examples of that. If, right. it, gets, if it gets hot, uh, the body wants to shed heat. And so the mm. hairs will lie flat because it doesn't want that insulating layer. Um, the blood will come to the surface to bring mm -hmm. the heat from the body to the surface. Evaporative cooling through sweating and all that will happen. Right. And all of those things reduce the heat load. That's homeostasis. In other words, homeostasis is the response of the neurobiological system in any organism mm. to adapt to change. I was going to say, when you hear it, when I hear the word homeostasis, I think of like high school biology, right? <laughs> yep. So is, is there anything different about it? Like what's, what's different for us humans? What's different for us humans is the complexity. Mm, yeah. We are organisms, but we are incredibly advanced organisms. Right. And there's also other aspects of homeostasis that apply to us because we're cognitive. Mm, yeah. And... We exist as a being, mm -hmm. and we're aware and conscious of that existence. Mm. So homeostasis, while it's the same thing and maybe very physiological, it's also cognitive and spiritual. Mm. Right. And chronic stress – so let me back up. Mm -hmm. When we experience a sense or sense a threat to our well-being, we sense or perceive a threat to our well-being – Things like um, it, things like somebody said something hmm. or something happened, hmm. which, for example, right. I, I did uh, autonomic healing activation with a Vietnam War vet. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite stories to right. tell. And he's given me permission to tell sure, his story, so course, I can, even course. though there's no identifying information. But <clears throat> he, um, he had suffered for a very long time with post-traumatic stress. Mm. He had been a Vietnam War sniper, and I don't think he got to be a sniper in Vietnam and were assigned to that unless you were a pretty tough guy. Right. And he did fine until he was in a bunker and it got hit by a rocket and the concussive force and the yellow flash was the onset of post-traumatic stress. Wow. And so he would, from there on, he had night terrors mm -hmm. for years. And he would have panic attacks if mm -hmm. Vietnam was brought up or somebody asked him about, so you're a vet. What was your experience in Vietnam like? And he'd start having a panic Automatically attack. Automatically triggered him. Because he would sense or perceive a threat based mm -hmm. on what he had previously experienced. That, had, mm -hmm. that trauma had never been normalized in his body. Mm -hmm. So the VA doing everything that they could with cognitive behavioral therapy and psychotropic meds and tranquilizers and all sorts of stuff, he was able to get that 
the night terrors, for example, down to three or four nights a week. Which, which is, is still a lot. Uh, yeah, that's a lot better than seven. <laughs> a lot better than seven, a week. true. But still, three or four nights a week of night terrors for decades, it's incredibly debilitating. Mm, right. And so that helped. He learned a lot of techniques to manage panic attacks and that sort of thing to, to make them bearable. But they always kept happening. Mm, they didn't go away. No. Right. No, not they fully. Just, they just subsided in the intensity of his mm, experience of them. Right. So his therapist knew about me because several of her other clients I had treated with autonomic healing activation and AHA. Sure. We'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so when he came to my office, mm. I remember very distinctly him stepping in and looking around. And he said, okay, I got three things. I said, okay, go ahead. And I'm really glad I didn't say shoot. Um, <laughs> I just okay, what are those that three things? That probably wouldn't have been the best. <laughs> that would have been a really, yes, that would have been so bad. Um, but anyway, so I said, okay, what are they? And he said, first of all, can you turn your desk lamp off? Hmm. And I said, because he, he, and he said, it, I'm starting to have a panic attack seeing that yellow light. Well, I knew why, because you get, in a bunker and it's hit by a rocket and there's a yellow flash of the explosion seeing the yellow flash now but it's a yellow light his body was reactive to it because that had never been normalized it had never been brought to the place of homeostasis so normalized homeostasis is that synonymous normalized is what homeostasis is it's what it is it's optimum function and it adjusts to changes that occur Right. So that it can normalize and be in that optimum range of functioning Mm -hmm. so that that allows not just survival. But but, thriving. But thriving. Yeah. Yes. I like the word. I've created a word. Thrival. Thrival. (laughs) Survival and thrival. (laughs) Thrival. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And we can thrive. Mm. Except if there isn't homeostasis. And that homeostatic function naturally wants to occur and tries to occur. It just gets interrupted or overwhelmed. And then that stays in the body. Mm. And the stress holds that. Right. Uh, and that stress is held in the body. Mm. Okay. Right. Makes sense. So his body had been holding all that stress. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I turned off the desk lamp, even though the desk lamp wasn't going to explode it was not actually right. a threat to his well-being but there's actually sense- no danger in the room but the no. sense of danger the the feeling of i don't feel safe was there right right and for others it can be somebody says something or somebody looks a certain way or hear a sound or you smell something mm-hmm. you sense or perceive a threat to well-being and it may not actually even be a threat which compounds the amount of stress because you feel like I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm going, I'm having a panic attack about a death lamp. Right. This is ridiculous. Right. Which compounds all the stress. Mm. Just adds more to it. Exactly. Yeah. So I turned off my death lamp. And then he said, okay, the second thing is I understand from my therapist that 
you're not wanting to talk about all this and Mm. what happened in Vietnam. Right. Because, one, I've never been to a therapist who the first time I sit down with them doesn't want to talk about, okay, what brings you here? What? He's going, I have a panic attack every time I have to do that. And I said, no, this is a somatic treatment. Your brain is simply going to do something. And it knows what it wants to do. So I don't have to, and I don't want you to think about that. Right. For my audience who might be listening, who is like Mm -hmm. somatic, like what's, what's the difference between like somatic therapy and psychotherapy? Yep. Um, Soma is the Greek word for the body. Mm -hmm. So it's a body treatment. It's a body activity. Mm -hmm. Somatic means of the body. Right. Psychotherapy is of the mind. Psychology. So psychotherapy is cognitive. It's mm-hmm. of the mind. It's thinking. He'd always experienced psychotherapy. It, it had always been a mind cognitive processing, talk understanding, therapy. talk therapy. Right. And that's what he'd always experienced in one form or another. But it hadn't helped. Mm. It helped with understanding. And that can be stress relieving. But it wasn't touching homeostasis. It wasn't right. normalizing the stress reactivity that was just in his body. Mm-hmm. Right. Did that answer? Oh yeah. No, it makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. Just Good. wanted to, just wanted to kind of clarify and get some definitions mm-hmm. out there. So yeah, yeah absolutely. 100%. Cause we're talking about, and I run into this all the time mm-hmm. that trying to help people understand that this part of it, of autonomic healing activation and activating homeostasis, that normalizing function, begins by a somatic experience. Mm. So I told him, um, I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want you to think about it if you could help from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly am not going to bring it up. Then I said, but by the end of the session, and the average autonomic healing activation session uh, takes about four to six hours for right. 85, 90% of the people. Why it does that? I honestly don't know. That's just, it just takes time. Takes, it just takes that yeah. for the brain to normalize mm-hmm. the stress. It can go shorter than that. I've had two and a half hours. I've had others that have gone seven, eight. Um, mm-hmm. A couple have gone even longer than that. But mm-hmm. my point is that it's a somatic experience. Right. And it just takes time to normalize all of that. So I I told him, I would anticipate, though, that when we're done, if you just stay with it, don't interfere with what your brain wants to do, it will normalize that. And you'll be able to tell me what happened. Mm. (laughs) He said, well, that brings me to my third point. And I said, which is? He said, well, I'm really skeptical. Can anything could do this? Uh, what you're describing and my therapist says I will experience. Uh, does being skeptical make a difference? I said, no, it's just <laughs> a brain function. Right. And it's it, just science. It just, right. It's just going to do it. Yeah. So we got to the end of the session and I think his went probably about five and a half hours. Mm. And I said, so how do you feel? And he said, calm. And I know I haven't been this calm since Vietnam, but I'm not sure I've ever been this calm in my life. And I said, great. And then I slowly reached my hand toward the desk lamp to turn it on. I did it slowly because I wanted him to follow me. Mm-hmm. I, you wanted him to see what you were doing. Right. Because we can have an anticipation of an event mm-hmm. that can provoke 
the stress, right. like his anticipation of telling me about Vietnam, his et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I slowly reached for the desk lamp. I turned it on. He looks at it. Then he looks at me, and I said, how are you? He said, nice lamp. I said, no panic? He said, nope. I said, excellent. And then I just casually threw out there. I said, so what happened in Vietnam? He just starts telling me about his Vietnam War experience. Wow. And when he got to the place where he was talking about and the bunker being and sheltering during the rocket attack and that sort of thing, um, I said, okay, I want you to stop and close your eyes. And I want you to picture being in the bunker. I want you to remember that. And so he did. And I said, now describe in detail what that experience was like. And he did. And when he was finished, Mm -hmm. I said, so what is that like now to talk about Vietnam? And he said, and this was the word he used. And I remember it very distinctly. He said, it's just historical. It's just something that happened. Wow. And historical, because it could be in the past now. Right. And that's what his mind naturally came up with. So we're talking about what the brain does, not what the mind does. Right. Because the mind, frankly, frequently just compounds stress. Because mm-hmm. we're trying to think our way out of something that isn't possible to think yeah. our way out of. It's a neurobiological activity. Two different things, the brain Two and the mind. Yes. Yeah. And I've had a lot of pe- a lot of conversations over the years because I've done this with almost a thousand people right. at this point. Right. Um, and so one of the things I frequently run into is that people think of the brain and the mind synonymously, but mm. they're not the same thing mm-hmm. um, any more than my device is me. It, it's not. Right. I'm connected to it, and when it's the brain and the mind, the brain is an organ in our body. And the mind is a function of the brain. Right, right. They're two separate things. Hmm. So one is voluntary, us consciously thinking. It's cognition. The other is the organ in our body that makes that possible. Hmm. And those are two separate things. Right. And what you're really tapping into with AHA is the brain. Yes. Allowing it to heal itself. Yes. Heal the body. Yep. So what happens is that, and my discovery was that homeostasis is always happening. Mm -hmm. And we can activate homeostasis. We can do things that cause the body to want to normalize. Yeah. You take a (sighs) cleansing breath, try to relax my muscles. You're... Mm trying to work with and allow homeostasis to function. Yeah. So it's not the activation that is such a critical thing, although my approach with a particular region of the brain in the body is different than anything. Um, And that is in the gut. Now I'll explain that in just a moment. But we're talking about with the somatic autonomic healing activation, it's in a particular part of the body that that's initiated and it's in the gut. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because of the nature of the brain structure. Mm-hmm. So it, one of the things that's gotten very popular in recent years is the gut and the gut brain. Right. And it's often even described and popularized as a second brain. It has some semi-autonomous function, 
but and because it can operate independently to some degree, but really? it doesn't. Huh. It, it doesn't. Oh, okay. So the idea of it's the little brain or second brain is a little fanciful. Okay. So, but it is a, it is part of the brain, mm. and so just to overview very simply the brain think of the top part of the brain and i am grossly oversimplifying but think of the top part of the brain which is the cortex as the thinking part of the brain right that's the part we think with mm -hmm. and we process sensory information with a part of the brain and the frontal part um we experience things like uh, executive function so if I do anything, I'm using that part of the brain to get my body to do it. Right. And uh, personality expression. Because mm -hmm. personality is very much a function of the way we think. Mm -hmm. And um, another function is anticipation. And we anticipate something occurring. We think someone feels a way or their reaction will be, or we think something's going to happen. That's another function of the cortex. Right. And that part of the brain is doing that. It's the part of the brain we use when we try to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And it's the part of the brain that is involved in decision-making. So when we make a decision, Right. And the problem is that because of stress and trauma, because of modeling, because uh, things have been imposed on us, because behaviors and patterns of thinking have been rewarded and reinforced, our thinking as human beings frequently is not terribly rational. It's what I call <laughs> seemingly rational perceptions. Right. It mm -hmm. seems rational to us. It makes sense. Uh, it's been encouraged. It's been supported to think in certain patterns. But it's not actually rational, which mm -hmm. means that what we anticipate is frequently inaccurate. We think somebody is, oh, that person just hates me. They're going, what are you talking about? I, or I'm sure yeah. they're upset with me. And they're going, no, I'm mm, not. Something totally different. It, right. And our anticipation is off. Or we think somebody is just fine. And they're going, no, I'm really angry at you right now. And I, that. It's because our perceptions are not actually accurate. Mm. All that to say, that compounds stress. Mm. Because when you what you're anticipating is not accurate, that's stressful. Right. Makes sense. And it creates that emotional distress. Right. Right. And speaking of emotional distress, <laughs> now below the cortex, in the middle of the brain is the limbic system. Mm -hmm. And the limbic system is really significant because part of that is about memory and learning. It's like the librarian. It's the access to literally everything, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. Everything that you've ever experienced is in your brain, mm -hmm. and it's stored. That you and I can communicate is a function of that part of the brain. The limbic system. Right. Okay. Because certain sounds have certain meanings, and mm. you've learned those meanings, and I've learned those meanings. So when we speak in a common language, it's sensible mm -hmm. to each of us. So it's emotions, it's memory, it's making meaning out of different situations and experiences. It, it makes those connections right. for us, mm -hmm. and that interacts with the cortex mm -hmm. where we can think about it right. and consider right. it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can't make any sense of it. 
<laughs> sure. So when I did um, AHA with a woman from India who had been rescued out of a domestic violence situation by mm. an organization here in the States, um, she spoke Tamil. I don't speak Tamil. Hmm. So we couldn't communicate because that wasn't in my limbic right. system, sure. those sounds and that sort of thing. It was in hers, and she was fine, except I wasn't. And the English in mine wasn't really much in hers, so she couldn't. But fortunately, there was a translator. Mm-hmm. There's another part of the limbic system. Uh, and that senses and interprets threats mm. to well-being. And then it sends a message into another part of the brain that we should have a flight or fight response. We should react. We should respond right. to a sensed or perceived threat. Such a buzzword right now, too, this idea of fight or flight. Oh, oh right. yeah, especially yeah. with COVID. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's on steroids now. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, I was on a, a, a flight a few months ago, and uh, there was a gentleman sitting in the seat uh, near me. He was uh, he was in the window seat. I was in the aisle seat, and right. there was a, a mom. Turned out to be a school teacher. She had a little toddler with her, and the toddler inadvertently she was doing everything she could, but the toddler inadvertently kicked the back of the guy's seat, and he is up and out, and he's turned around, oh, wow. and he's just. <laughs> And she's going, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. Sure. I, he, he, I, and <laughs> I just look at him like, and he looks over at me and I look over at him like, how about you just sit down? Mm. How about you just relax? And so he sits down. He's obviously very uncomfortable and probably embarrassed. And, sure. Uh, just he had, because of that reaction. Yeah, the reaction. Yeah. Right. And we all have those. Uh, can't we all relate to that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so things settle down. By the end of the flight, um, he, we're all getting up and moving around, and he turns around and apologizes and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, he, he asked me, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a mental health therapist. <laughs> he said, oh, okay. And so partly of interest, maybe – partly to change the subject he said <laughs> so what have you noticed about the effects of covid <laughs> going, right well the effects of covid have been one people who didn't have mental health issues may now mm-hmm. and they may have anxiety they may have depression they may have anger they have mental health issues now that they didn't have before sure uh for those who had mental health issues they're not coping well and for those who had severe mental health issues, they're probably not coping at all. Mm. And that's just the effect of compounded stress that's unrelenting. Right. So my point is that where the flight or fight response occurs in the body is in the sympathetic nervous system. This is another part of the brain. So Mm -hmm. there's the cortex on top, limbic system in the middle, and for the neuroscientists, I am grossly oversimplifying, (laughs) so please don't go after me. But I'm just trying to make something really complex, uh, very simple. And then the third part of the brain is the autonomic nervous system. Would this be the brain stem? This is not just the brain stem, but it's Mm -hmm. all the stuff below. Everything else below it. Yep. Gotcha. And where the sympathetic nervous system and why you feel it frequently Mm -hmm. in your body 
and particularly in your torso, mm-hmm. it's a visceral reaction. The viscera is the Latin word for the organs and stuff inside the torso. Right. And when we have a visceral reaction, we feel it in the gut. Mm. It's a gut reaction. And frequently that's why stress and anxiety mm. and such does not very pleasant things right. for the gut and the intestines. Well, and does this relate to our vagus nerve at all too? Exactly. Okay. Because the – and let me break down the autonomic nerve system. There's the sympathetic, which mm-hmm. is flight or fight. Right. That's, and we are sympathetic to somebody who's about to jump out of an airplane, mm. <laughs> which I, I watched a, a movie about two people in a balloon, and I, I'm going, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's me every time I watch Free Solo, the climbing documentary. Yes. My hands just get so sweaty, yes. and I'm like, oh, my god!" And that is a sympathetic reaction <laughs> Wow, that okay. triggers the flight or fight response. Right. Right. Okay. And that's in the sympathetic part of the autonomic the nervous, nervous system. system. Right. That's flight or fight. Mm-hmm. Then there's the parasympathetic. And the parasympathetic is relax, recover, rest, digest, mm. settle down. And that's homeostasis. That's our body's natural way of healing itself. Yes. And coming to a restful state. And the sympath- parasympathetic is part of the homeostatic mm. part of our functioning. Right. So when the parachute deploys... Relax and recover <laughs> that I'm not free falling and the sympathetic can transition into the parasympathetic. Right. I like to use that as a way to describe <laughs> the parasympathetic, relax and recover, the chute is open, I'm not gonna die. Right. And the sympathetic is we're free falling and this is flight and it's not flying. <laughs> it's yeah, and I can't flee because I'm just going down. And so the parasympathetic is relax, recover, rest, digest, things mm. settle down. And mm-hmm. that's part of the symp- uh, the homeostatic. Function. Right, the parasympathetic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then there's the third part of mm. the autonomic nervous system, and that's the enteric nervous system. Mm. And the enteric nervous system I find absolutely critical. It's the what I call survive and thrive part of the brain. And brain cells are called neurons, Mm -hmm. and there are 100 million of them in the spine. Oh, wow. Yeah, part of your brain is in your spine. And neurons are brain cells, and there's brain cells in your spine, 100 million of them. So just, I mean, I'm just trying to, like, imagine this. How does that even work where there's brain cells that are we think should be in our brain? How is that in our spine? Because we have had um, a limited perception of the brain. Mm. And we've thought, and invariably, you ask somebody, where's your brain? And they'll think of that massive stuff that's in the head. Right. Which is true. And the vast majority of it, as Carl Sagan would say, billions and billions of, (laughs) not stars, but neurons, are in the brain. Mm. But that's not the only place that they are and exist. And so the brain is more than just in the skull. It's also in the spine. Wow. And it's connected. And then there's more brain cells, and they're in your gut. That's why it's called the gut brain. Uh, Mm. or that part. It's the enteric nervous system. 
and there are 400 to 600 million brain cells down in your gut. Wow, that many. And if you think about it, why do you think we have a gut feeling? I have a mm. gut reaction. I just, it just, I just, yeah. Because, this intuition almost. Right. Because the, and you asked about the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is what mm. connects that all the way from the bottom of the torso all the way up to the brainstem. Right. And that's what connects that part of the brain to the rest of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's like the um, Florida Keys connected to Florida by way of all those bridges. Well, it's right. part of Florida. Mm-hmm. It's just out there. Right. Okay. And so that all and the vagus nerve also connects to the spine mm-hmm. and that part of the brain. So, and the reason it's called vagus is because the Latin for vega bond, uh, wanderer, is it's a nerve that wanders all the way up. Oh, how interesting. And yeah. it connects <laughs> the brain in its entirety. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Vega bond nerve. <laughs> that's, that's exactly why they called it the vagus nerve. This thing just yeah. wanders all over the place. Because the vagus nerve also connects to all of our other major organs, right? Uh-huh. Our heart, our lungs. Uh, it's, it's all everything. over. Everything connects. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So cool. So that's the survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. And my discovery was that by way of that part of the brain, we can – and the enteric nervous system is all about homeostasis. Right. And think of survive and thrive and how would you do if all those internal organs aren't functioning? Not too well. <laughs> and are those connected to flight or fight? Uh, your heart starts racing, your breathing mm-hmm. starts, <laughs> and uh, all of that. Or homeostasis, your heart settles down, it's not pumping mm-hmm. so fast, your breathing slows. We're able to start thinking more critically now, use more judgment, yep. higher reasoning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think of the enteric nervous system is survive and thrive and that is very much about homeostasis wow so with aha it's allowing an initiation of homeostasis by way of the part of your brain your gut and it is simple enough that five and six year olds i do this with Mm -hmm. so it it's not rocket science it's just a really basic thing but That may initiate and does initiate homeostasis, but what allows it to continue is a focus on one of our senses, and this is a critical piece. When I start talking about human senses, most people will think of five. So if you didn't know this, and I know you do know this because we've had this conversation before about AHA, Mm -hmm. but... Most people, when you mention human senses, will think about five. Uh, Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, and smelling. And the reason for that is because of Aristotle. Way back, centuries and millennia ago, in the 300s BC, Aristotle wrote about five human senses. Mm -hmm. He maybe even knew of others. Maybe. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he wrote about five human senses and actually was very insistent that there are only five Mm -hmm. and that the most significant sense was sight. Things that we can see. Very insistent about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. (laughs) And it turns out we have a lot more than five senses. 
Mm. We have you can find all sorts of numbers, but generally accepted is twenty one. Twenty one senses. Mm-hmm. And yet so many of us still when we think, well, what are your different senses? We think of just those five. Yep. Right. Thank you, Aristotle. Yeah. <laughs> What a wise Classical guy. education ever since. We're right. thinking about yeah. five. So what are some of those other senses? Uh, balance? Mm. Magnetism? That's an interesting one. Magnetism? Yes. As in like how birds navigate, they have a sense of the magnetics, right? And there was an interesting study that um, – they put the subjects inside some kind of a container kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then they moved magnets around, pretty strong ones, around in different places, and they could sense where they were. Animal we have... subjects or human subjects? Human. Wow. Yeah. Really? Which so doesn't we, we mean can we have should probably sense... start trying to navigate <laughs> by our sense of With magnetism. Because <laughs> it's not real developed. They're not real strong. But that right. is another one. Right. Our sense of our own bodies. But there is one that, and that's our sense of what's happening in the body. It's called mm-hmm. interoception. Interoception. A- another example of a sense would be proprioception. That's your awareness of your body in time and space. Where is it located? What is it doing? Wow. Um, when we are socially distancing, we're mm. aware of time and space and volume of a room and that sort of thing, and that's proprioception. There are all sorts of different human senses. Wow. Um, but interoception, I, I like to think of it as like that's the real uh, I on, on a podcast episode that hasn't been uploaded yet, but um, I, I I talk about it as the like the the Lord of the Rings, and there was the one ring that ruled all the other rings, right? And this is the one sense that kind of rules all the other senses, because interoception, which is a function of the insular cortex, which is a little island piece of brain in the middle of your skull. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's called insula, again, Latin, is the word for island. And it's just this little island all by itself piece of brain that connects the limbic and the uh, cortex and, frankly, all sorts of other parts. Sure. of, And it's our awareness of what is happening in our bodies. Mm. Uh, uh, there's a book, uh, A.D. Craig, called How Do You Feel? An Interoceptive Moment with Your Neurobiological Self. Hmm. Because the the reason it's called How Do You Feel is your awareness of what you are feeling. And whether that's physiologically, emotionally, relationally, your awareness of what is happening in your body, what it is doing, is that sense. Hmm. Your awareness of sight and processing Mm, it mm -hmm. is a function of the significance of it. Mm. And so, for example, uh, the um, interoception is so essential that you even knowing that you exist is a function of that sense. Mm. So it would make sense why exist. this is so important. Uh-huh. <laughs> it would make sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. So what I discovered and what AHA is all about is the person closes their eyes because if you're looking around, mm-hmm. it's distracting to focusing on what you're feeling in your body and aware of. Right. It's not that it's impossible, but it's incredibly confusing. And why don't we just make this as simple as we can? <laughs> so I have people close their eyes. Mm-hmm. 
And then they focus their attention on their bodies, and with that activation in their gut, it initiates homeostasis, but the interoception allows it to continue. Hmm. And as long as those two are working in tandem, homeostasis continues in that normalization. Hmm. So it's it's a stance between homeostasis and interoception. Is that what I'm hearing? It's the dance between homeostasis and interoception working together mm-hmm. to orchestrate normalization. Mm. It's like an analogy that I would use is if you have a switch that turns on something, but you have to hold the button down mm-hmm. for it to continue, that's interoception, is holding the button down. The button is the activation in the enteric nervous system. Right. And then involuntary sensations and movements just automatically start. And they're familiar to the person to start with. Things like itching and twitching and tingling mm-hmm. and changes in breathing, changes in body temperature. You're smiling and nodding because you're going, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> I went, so, I, you know, for my listeners, I and I'm, I'm probably going to say this in my introduction at some uh-huh. point, but I did the session with you. I did a couple sessions with mm-hmm. you of the different types of AHA you do and um, but in that somatic session, that first session, yeah, I remember that first, I mean, first hour or two, it was just, it, it wasn't much in the sense of it didn't, I was just like, okay, what should I be feeling? <laughs> right. And then, but yeah. then I would feel, you know, I'd feel some itches I'd feel a little bit of like a muscle twitch, mm-hmm. um, a scratch on my ear or something. And instinctually I'd try and go to itch and you're like, Oh, no, oh, don't, don't interfere, don't with, interfere the brain. with it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to want to itch it. <laughs> yeah. Because everything that the brain is doing that is homeostatic, mm-hmm. is healing. Mm-hmm. I, I originally called this autonomic homeostasis activation, but most people don't know what homeostasis is, and I've done this with medical professionals and psychiatrists and psychologists and um, doctors and physicians' assistants and nurses. Right. And even when I talk <laughs> about homeostasis with them and they begin experiencing it in... It's just unfettered, uninterfered with. <laughs> I've had more than one say, I never understood homeostasis like this. Right. Nor did they really understand interoception mm, that way. Right. So these involuntary sensations and movements, because what of what homeostasis is when it comes to stress and trauma, it's this dance between the sympathetic flight or fight and the parasympathetic mm-hmm. relax and recover. And so it keeps shifting these involuntary activities, shift between sensations and such that seem and feel like, and we sense them as flight or fight, but also with relax and recover. Mm. So, for example, one of the things that I frequently observe um, is increased salivation. And people will start swallowing a lot, and they'll Mm. feel their mouth get dry, which is sympathetic. Right. But then they'll also have an increased salivation, which is parasympathetic. Wow. I I didn't even think of that when I was doing mine. Mm -mm. That's so interesting. Can you you help? kind of help explain a little bit more like how how does things like itching and muscle twitches how is that <laughs> healing the body because the brain is creating things that are stress and trauma related that are in the body it's creating them so it can relieve them mm-hmm. on their terms mm-hmm. on the brain's terms not with 
external influences and impacts. Somebody says something or does something and that sort of thing. With AHA, it's just the brain getting to resolve things on its terms. And so it creates the involuntary activity that is sympathetic so that it can relieve it in the parasympathetic, mm-hmm. relax, recover, rest, digest. Did this with a guy who had Crohn's disease. Mm. And he said it was like sensing his digestive system waking up. I frequently hear people talk about, uh, and I I remember what I did it remotely with somebody, and they said, can you hear that? I said, uh, <laughs> hear what? And they said, my stomach, it's just going crazy. Oh, yeah. And Starting it, to digest. Exactly. Yeah. And the brain... <clears throat> to simplify as much as I can, the brain creates so that it can recreate and restore. Wow. And normalize what it didn't have the chance to mm-hmm. do before. Yeah. How amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the familiar sensations, itching, twitching, tingling, changes in body temperature, changes in breathing, uh, optic nerve activity, seeing colors and shapes and things like that. I've had I can't tell you the number of people who said it's like looking at a lava lamp, except it's behind my eyelids. Wow. And all sorts of stuff will happen that's familiar. because, And the reason it's familiar is because that's been the brain trying mm-hmm. to normalize. Oh, but yeah. it often does it in a way we don't like. And mm-hmm. so we interfere. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one of my favorite examples is yawning. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. Uh, were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we yawn physiologically – now, people don't think of – most people don't think of yawning this way. They think of it as social. They think of it as boredom. They think of it as stress, and it is. Mm-hmm. But what physiologically is happening, when the brain causes us to yawn involuntarily, it that intake of air is cooling the brain. That's what's happening. It, right. It's hot, and it wants to cool down. But it because cool down. of how smart we are, <laughs> and we think, well, that's rude, so we should inhibit that – intake of air, cover our mouths, or go to those facial contortions. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the brain's going, really? Mm. Uh, I'm hot. I'm going to cool down. So the way I like to say it is what's really actually rude about yawning is when we stifle the air Mm. intake because the brain, it's being rude to the brain. Yeah. And it's hot. You heard it it here. You heard it here first, folks, from Tom himself. (laughs) That's right. Not breathe. Yawn. Uh, Let whenever it you want. Yeah. Let it rip. Just let it rip. take it. And you can hold <laughs> your hand in front of your face or something. Sure. But let that air come in because your brain is hot and it, it wants it. to cool down. Yeah. And it knows that mm. because the stress of whatever has been going on, it's been working real hard to deal with it. Mm. It's like a computer almost when it starts to heat up. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to cool down. It needs that fan. That's a great analogy. Mm. Yeah. Would you cover the cooling fan on your computer if, if you, you want do, it to it's get probably, worse it's probably yeah. not going to function <laughs> terribly well right yeah so that is an example of the interchange between the sympathetic and parasympathetic and mm-hmm. it's familiar because it's been the brain trying to do things but the deeper it goes into homeostasis and that normalization it's like Star Trek. It's going where no one has gone before, mm-hmm. or at least you have gone before, and your brain hasn't been allowed to but could. And so it becomes unfamiliar. 
and that's mm. when I hear weird a lot. I, yeah. it, it, you, you'd say, <laughs> I I said that word quite a bit during yes. our time. Yep. I've even had clients say super weird. Super weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's just my definition for weird is beneficially unusual. Mm. Yeah. It, and the reason it's unusual is because the brain, this is what it's doing to mm. normalize the stress and trauma that's mm. in the body. It's just more and more deeply going into that. So mm. it's not familiar to you anymore. Mm. It's unusual. Right. Well, and this just goes further into that idea, which you haven't brought up yet, but this idea that we've talked about that mm-hmm. you bring up, um, this idea of this is how our body has typically been working, mm. but it's not normal for our body. Now we're starting to normalize it, but it yes. hasn't been typical. So it's, it's, it's unknown, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's still healing. Mm, yeah and those things will come and go it can be for some people it's very unusual i mean really really unusual for other people it's mildly unusual Mm. um i I can give you all sorts of really interesting examples that people have reported you've probably got Um, some some pretty intense i mean just from what you were sharing earlier this morning i mean mm -hmm. it's you've gotten some intense cases with some of this oh i've People who frequently wind up hearing about me, and almost Mm. everybody that I've treated up to this point, has heard about me and come to me because they have a family or a friend or some person who has done AHA, and that person shares about their experience, and they're saying, you really – you got to do this. You got to try it. And then they come to me. Mm -hmm. And for 98 or 99 out of 100 people, it is not 100%. Right. But for 98 or 99 out of 100 people, it normalizes the existing stress and trauma. Mm -hmm. How I measure that is on a zero to 10 scale. I also use screening instruments, um, uh, anxiety, stress, depression, anger. Mm -hmm. Um, I I use screening instruments to assess those clinically. Um, And with some cases, I've had the opportunity to even use objective um, psychological tests like the Milan Clinical Multi-Actual Inventory, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. And it shows up Mm. when I re-administer those tests, what showed up as clinical syndromes like generalized anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress, um, major depression, Mm -hmm. even severe ones like major depression. Um, that when I re-administer those tests, they don't show up. Mm. The way the person responds to the test items, they're not affirming things that show that those clinical syndromes are present anymore. Mm. So where was I going with that? Um, Anyway, the unusual, and it normalizes that, and how I will assess just subjectively for that person to relate to me their sense of what changed is that I have them rate on a zero to 10 scale. Zero is none. 10 is most severe. I have them rate their sense of stress. Zero, none. 10 most Mm -hmm. severe. Somewhere on that, generally speaking. And it's usually a range and it can spike. But I'm just looking for a sense of them telling me before they have the session, um, stress, Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. and anger. I like to facetiously refer to those as the four horsemen of the stress <laughs> apocalypse. Yep. <laughs> Makes sense. And uh, because those are primary manifestations mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And I have them rate that before the session, and then I have them rate it after. And you did. 
Mm-hmm. You rated your sense of stress, anxiety, depression, and anger before. Mm-hmm. And no matter how high those are rated, if the person just cooperates and doesn't interfere with the, this involuntary brain activity and they stay with it mm-hmm. until it's done, for 98 or 99%, and there, there are some that I don't do it with, for instance, like uh, schizophrenia. I don't do it with that because when that the body... That was my next question. Is yeah. How does this affect you know, higher acute <clears throat> mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, personality disorders maybe? The one that I will never do it with is someone who has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Because when the body is involuntarily doing all these things mm. that... For someone with schizophrenia, they can't interpret or make sense of that, and so it just generates more and more stress. When when they're actively psychotic, or could could it be something that works when maybe they're being treated, they're on medication, they're stable, they're stable. I I just tend to stay away from Mm -hmm. that because not there yet. Yeah, because it just messes so much with their sense of reality. When their brain and body itself is doing things, right? With the mind, just try to make sense of it, mm-hmm. and it can't make sense of it. Mm. So then it's it's what we would call contraindicated. It, it is not appropriate to do mm. that. So I would never do that with someone. Sure. There are other conditions that, depending upon the neurobiology, it may it may have trouble normalizing it because that part of the brain mm-hmm. doesn't function well mm-hmm. th- if that makes sense sure then, like maybe if some of those more severe cases of bipolar where there are those psychotic episodes or mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're referring yep. to yeah okay yep. so but for the vast majority of people if they just mm-hmm. stay with it and they don't interfere with it they don't scratch the itches they don't adjust when the body is uncomfortable they just right. let the brain turn their head or lift their arm or do whatever it mm-hmm. is gonna do um that they'll rate when i ask them at the end and everything is in that state of homeostasis that they'll rate the sense of stress anxiety depression mm-hmm. anger as zero mm-hmm. because it's been normalized yeah. Now, I want to make sure that I mention that nothing – I've had a lot of people say, oh, so I'll never experience stress or anxiety or depression or anger anymore? Uh, <laughs> that's not human, and the only time that happens and is the case is if we're not alive. <laughs> right. If we experience – if we are alive, we experience stress. Mm, yeah. That's just a given. Things mm. change. People doesn't do have things. to be a bad thing. But no. Mm. That's just a part of existing. Yeah. But to have a tool then on a daily basis to manage when stress or anxiety or anger or depression is activated, mm-hmm. that's golden. Mm. That's life-changing. Yeah. Because then it doesn't have to escalate in what I call the tsunami of stress. Mm. That's another concept related to right. flight or fight. You have a whole podcast episode about that I, one. I do. <laughs> I do because it is so yeah. common. Mm, and we've yeah. all experienced it. Oh, well, I mean, when you walked me through it in that, that problem-solving session we did, it, it just mm-hmm. it makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's just a pretty linear, logical flow of mm-hmm. how stress manifests and what it looks like practically and, and mm-hmm. how it kind of it, – it just seems to follow an order to me that just makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, and you mentioned the AHAPS, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We as human beings is exist 
as body, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. There are some who will say, well, we're not spirit, we're just body and mind. Phil- philosophy aside, most people believe that we have a being, we have a spirit, mm-hmm. they're spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so with the body, mind, and spirit, after I figured out how to do this in about 2014, a few, a couple of years after, because of a background as a psychotherapist with cognitive behavioral therapy and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but also knowing about uh, a phenomena that our, our listeners would be probably very familiar with because it's just a human thing, is what are called involuntary autobiographical cognitions or involuntary autobiographical memories. Hmm. So with uh, the involuntary autobiographical cognitions or memories, the reason it's called that is because they are involuntary. You are not consciously thinking about something. You're not Mm -hmm. consciously trying to remember something. It's involuntary, and your brain is doing it. Right. And it's and it's autobiographical because it's about your experience of life. It's Mm -hmm. drawn from what you have experienced. And cognitions or memories because it may be about remembering something or it may be figuring something out, but you with your own mind are not doing it. So how that works, and it's, aha, it's like when you have something you're trying to figure out, you're working on some problem or you're doing something and you just can't figure it out, Mm -hmm. you're using the prefrontal cortex in conjunction with the limbic system Mm -hmm. to try to problem solve and figure that out. And you can't. Right. And we've all had these experiences. I was just going to say that for every time I think of this, when you kind of explain this, it makes me think of when you just can't think of that actor's (laughs) name. Yeah. And it keeps you, for me, I just, I love movies. So I watch, you know, a lot and it's Mm -hmm. just like, Oh my gosh, like where was he in? Like what movie? (laughs) What was his name? And it keeps me up at night sometimes. Yes. And you're trying to remember or you're trying to figure out something. And when you stop using Mm. your prefrontal cortex to do that, Mm -hmm. to problem solve, voluntarily, your brain may continue to do that because it wants an answer. Right. And then when you're shifting your attention, you go to sleep or you turn your attention to something else and then it comes to you. It's like, oh, I remember now. Or, oh, I know what I could do. (laughs) Aha. Oh, I know what I could do. That's your brain problem solving mm. involuntarily. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years after I figured this out in 2014 for the somatic homeostasis, normalizing that in the body, right. I wondered, especially as a psychotherapist, always looking for ways to help people problem solve issues mm-hmm. and figure things out. I wondered if there was a way to activate homeostasis in the prefrontal cortex with the limbic system mm-hmm. to problem solve things that the client can't figure out Hmm. and that even I, as a therapist, even if I suggest a solution sure isn't adopted by the client because they didn't think of it and Mm -hmm. it doesn't register for them. It doesn't fit for them Mm -hmm. because as therapists, we're brilliant, right? And everything (laughs) we say, our words dripping with gold. No, Mm, we're not. not We don't, we don't know. Everything right. that person has ever experienced. Mm. We don't know all the ways that they think about things. Yeah. And so a couple of years after I figured this out in 2014, it was about 2016 or 17-ish, I began to wonder if 
it was possible to activate what I now call cognitive homeostasis. And initiating those involuntary autobiographical cognitions and memories, and then letting the brain problem solve because it's generating, instead of just somatic experiences like itching and twitching and tingling and all those homeostatic, normalizing kind of involuntary sensations and movements, right? it will initiate and inform and bring into conscious awareness its problem-solving when you ask it a question. And it'll do that. So, for example, for you, <laughs> you had something you – I just can't think Literally that happened last out. night. <laughs> ah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was watching um, – I was watching me, me and my girlfriend were watching the Ted Lasso mm. uh, newer mm. show on Apple. Love Ted Lasso. Have you seen I think it? I might be Ted Lasso, but anyway. <laughs> I, I see, I see the personality. <laughs> there I mean, you go. It's so funny. <laughs> and I was um, there was this actor in it who he was um, the kind of the snooty ex husband of mm-hmm. the you know who I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, the snooty ex husband. Yep. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I recognize him from something. It just took me mm-hmm. stop thinking about it. Just watch the show for a little bit. End of the show. Towards the end of the show, it, it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh. That's where he's from. Yes, because your brain said, oh, you mm-hmm. want to know that? Okay. Yeah. And it brings it into your mm-hmm. awareness. When I stopped trying to consciously trying to do it. Right. Yeah. So I wondered if it was possible to activate involuntary autobiographical cognitions to problem solve things that the person hasn't been able to figure out. Mm. And in a session, abandonment's a big one. I think I shared this example with you. Right. Um, abandonment and activated the cognitive homeostasis because that functions in concert with the somatic homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So then the brain isn't trying to problem solve how to flight or fight. The brain is just free to problem solve the cognition and the issue. And she just started relating involuntary thoughts and ideas that were coming into her awareness and because it was her brain doing it, and she went from that's not possible to be confident and feel loved and believe I'm loved and love myself because of all the abandonment issues to at the end she is saying, I can just be. I can love myself. Mm. I can let other people love me. I can right. believe I'm loved even if other people don't. Her brain was doing that. So that's what I call cognitive homeostasis, and that's the AHA problem solving. Mm -hmm. And then a couple years ago, uh, and a couple years after that, I began to wonder, because we're spiritual, and I began to wonder, is it possible that there could be a spiritual homeostasis? Mm -hmm. Because we're spiritual beings. Sure. And I'll use the term... But I recognize that it might be even triggering for a lot of people, God, Mm -hmm. or higher being, or whatever. Right. But that sense of the transcendent, there's Mm. something, someone, there's a being or something something more than us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And we're connected to that. And so I wondered if, because stress and trauma can really negatively affect us in our sense of our own being and our spiritual sense of ourselves and in relationship to God as you experience, um, 
that I wondered if it was possible to activate homeostasis in that realm, and it's what I call spiritual homeostasis, mm. and it does that too. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. And <laughs> the first one, the somatic takes four to six hours for 85, mm-hmm. 90% of people. Pretty consistently, the problem solving done after the somatic, and mm-hmm. that's the order that I do them in, because mm-hmm. if you don't have the body in homeostasis... It's going to be a lot harder to get the mind there. Then the mind and the prefrontal cortex are still reactive to the stress Mm -hmm. that's in the body. Right. Which is why we maladaptively cope Mm -hmm. with stress and we problem solve by doing things that make us feel good, except that's not healthy. And so it just creates more stress. Self-care, right? Exactly. (laughs) And so if we... What I found is that if we can normalize, and as we normalize the stress that's in the body, then then the problem solving can just focus on the problem mm-hmm. without getting involved in normalizing the stress that's in the body as a part of that. And that usually takes a average of for most people about two hours. Right. And we identify a pattern of perceptions mm-hmm. and the tsunami of stress that occurs. Very consistently that way with core issues. And Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of podcasts about tsunami of stress and the core issues. Right. And then after that, a spiritual homeostasis. That's usually about an hour. It can be an hour or two. And it will bring, and it's possible to have that sense of homeostasis in Mm. body, mind, and spirit. And that's... That's a very different place to live and exist yeah. than with all of that unresolved stress and trauma. Mm-hmm. So cool. So, I mean, you have all this information now, right? Mm-hmm. All these different things that you've discovered and, and, and worked with. And l- what's next? Like, how do we, what do we do with this information now? Like, where does it go? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> what um, have you been doing with it? Yeah. Well, one, a podcast, mm-hmm. uh, because the Ruth, who does the podcast, the Autonomic Healing podcast mm-hmm. uh, conversations with Tom Powell's and I do that with Ruth that was her initiation because mm. people need to know how, how do I not know about this right and people need to know about this right this is a thing other than you happen to know somebody who happens to have done it who happens to know me and then you can do it and that's a lot of people but there's a whole lot of people mm-hmm. that would benefit from this right and so at her initiation it was like let's do a podcast then people will hear about it yeah. And um and then it's not just a matter of you know somebody and they told somebody and they mm-hmm. sold somebody. Um which brings us to how because there's one of me and there's only so much time, um how do how can this be available to more people and that's training practitioners mm-hmm. and you're on the cusp of that and we're getting started for you yeah and maybe you could share a little bit about your experience with it and what prompted you to want to become a practitioner oh yeah i mean just real briefly the the way i heard about it was through one of my own clients um Mm -hmm. i had a client who it it wasn't through you it was through um, Mm one the other Mm -hmm. therapist you had trained um chris and she had done it, um, had been meeting with her pretty consistently, pretty pretty much weekly for trauma-related symptoms. Um, and pretty intense trauma. I mean, childhood trauma, I, what we would describe as complex mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, complex trauma. And she uh, 
wasn't i mean she was getting better just from the natural effects of, of going to therapy you know naturally mm-hmm. some therapies better than none it is and yeah. she was getting better in some degree but was still experiencing some of that high emotional distress um maybe less of the intrusive symptoms i think we were able to reduce that a bit but still still just up there a little bit you know we were doing the pcl which is a uh trauma screening inventory kind mm-hmm. of thing of symptoms which i know you know but yep. Um, doing that pretty weekly, still pretty consistently scoring pretty high on it. And so one week she was like, oh yeah, by the way, like I've got this appointment coming up. It's a somatic type thing. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. Um, and literally she had her appointment with Chris for AHA on a Thursday and then met with me again on like we after the weekend monday or tuesday maybe and just boom it was like it was like a light switch like i could just see it when she mm-hmm. walked through the door mm-hmm. just just the the peace and the calmness we did the pcl and she scored a zero <laughs> meaning no no trauma symptoms yes. nothing yep. that, and that's not exceptional it's what well, it was exceptional to me <laughs> well I of mean, course it was exceptional i'm just saying for like, me what with what do? i've experienced sure. with people right that's what they right. experience yeah. But for me, I was sitting there. I'm like, "What did you do, like, to, to like have the severe reduction in symptomology? Mm-hmm. Um, how was this trauma resolved? How was this trauma being processed for you?" And so she explained it to me. So I did a little digging, and and just and continuing to meet with her. I mean, week after week, it wasn't always a zero. You know, okay, life still happens. It's uh, a matter of how we're consistent. still human. Yeah, and exactly. We have those functions. Yes, but consistently, at the very least, less than ten, which is pretty minimal on the PCL. Mm-hmm. Um, was so just consistently scoring none or very low, and just maintaining this reduced symptomology, and so. I was like, I got to figure out what this is. And so I reached out to Chris first initially because that was just who I'd heard from. Mm-hmm. And he was like, let me direct it to Tom. And so and that's that's where we got to today. And and it, you know, after sitting down and talking with you, kind of like our conversation today, it just, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's It just makes sense to me. And so having done the session myself, you know, I uh, – just like anybody else, I struggle with my own anxiety. I struggle with uh, my own periods of depression, maybe, or things like that. And so, um, and have been in counseling for it, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. And and that's a healthy thing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I'm all for it. Um, it's It's been great periods of growth that I've seen. And mm-hmm. uh, But with the anxiety in particular, that's something I've always just haven't really fully resolved. And, um, and so we, we tried it. And, man, I mean – the <laughs> it was weird the amount of peace <laughs> yeah. i felt after mm-hmm. that session was mm-hmm. unparalleled i mean it really was different than something i felt before yeah. um and again just to be able to maintain that again it ebbs and flows you know it's a matter of you know i like for example i've been in this period of transition of moving from northern colorado back down here to broomfield mm-hmm. and it's been a lot just job transitions which you know, any one of those be major, life major life stretch stressors, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, if I, if I was doing a better job at self-care, I know that it would be a little bit lower. But that being said, it was it's still the amount of stress that I'm experiencing is way less or the the way that I'm perceiving mm-hmm. it and responding and reacting to it is way less than it was before. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just because the more and more time we get researching these things and experiencing these things we're just learning that anxiety is so body driven. Oh yes. Right. Which 
It is. When you explain it, like this, you have this last hour. It makes sense, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been the that that hasn't been the case of understanding in the field of psychology mm-hmm. and counseling and mental health care yep. for you know before the early two thousands even like even within the last twenty years you know neuroplasticity was such a huge discovery and how much does that affect our stress? The brain cells regenerate. Yeah, there was I, I remember many many years ago. Brain cells, if you kill them, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And we're discovering so much more. Yeah. And just availing ourselves of that research mm-hmm. and what can be possible yeah. is where this came from. Yeah. So it's it's amazing. You know, I if you're in the state of Colorado, I highly recommend checking it out. <laughs> I mean, if if it's trauma if it's depression if it's anxiety you know some of those really intense things that we experience in life and you're just feeling stuck this i mean (laughs) i'm not trying to promote it but in the same sense i I am trying to promote because this works increasing awareness of something that can be beneficial to people right Right. why wouldn't you and via telehealth i'm Mm -hmm. all over the place yeah Tom yep. does it, so. Yep. UK, South Africa, it's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you're okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Yep. Well, thank you so much for, for taking some time oh. out of your schedule and, and getting to share some of your passions and just how you discovered this. I always like to leave it open. Is there any kind of last parting words that you would <laughs> like to share with the audience? Um, what we can experience and what is possible is frequently so far beyond what we imagined mm. could possibly be. And so why not do that? Mm. Why not be well? Be well. Yep. Well said. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. You're welcome, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity.